Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. off this hour with some good news. Now, some good news is um, uh, not just a turn of phrase anymore. Some good news is now a show. So some good news is uh, it is available on Facebook. It, it actually uh, runs as a Facebook live uh, event, I think. And then it is um, it, it is published there. Uh, John Krasinski, who you might remember from uh, his fame in The Office, is the host of a program called Some Good News. Now, why bring this up? Because it really is great and wonderful to have some good news in the midst of all that's going on right now. And as uh, as the good news people, as people of the good news, charged with uh, carrying the good news to others, uh, proclaiming it from mountaintops and doorsteps and everywhere else. It's exciting to me to see somebody um, capitalize on uh, on what's happening in a very, very, very positive way. So he's had an online uh, prom. I mean, he had a he served as the DJ and then he had all these other famous uh, people come on and do a uh, do a, a national prom for everybody that was going to miss their prom. Uh, this week, he did an on air potluck. So. Because yesterday was Tasty Tuesday, I thought it was uh, particularly timely that the online potluck uh, took place uh, on the Some Good News event. Uh, They're also doing all kinds of fun things like, you know, chalk drawings and just, you know, stuff that people can do at home uh, with social distancing. And then also he features just really great and wonderful things that are happening across the country um, people doing good to one another. And so yesterday there was a whole litany of good news stories related to people literally feeding their neighbors. So the ways in which restaurants, restauranteurs, others in the food and beverage industry have figured out how to still feed people, even in the midst of all of this. And we have entire stadiums now being used for um, food prep and uh, and the the packing up of food boxes and distribution. And so let's be people who are purveyors of the good news related to all kinds of things that are going on. And if you just need some good news, you could check this out on Facebook. I mean, all you do is you type in literally the words, some good news, and this is what is going to come up. Um, food distribution and food redistribution is probably going to be uh, a huge part of headline news for the foreseeable future. We now have um, tens of millions of Americans who are what we would describe as food insecure. And that means that they no longer have the ability to go to the grocery store and buy what they need for themselves. Um, We're also facing farmers across the country being forced to dump food while food banks are struggling to feed people. And so um, the figuring out how to keep that from 
uh, from happening in the coming days and weeks and months is going to be a huge conversation that is happening uh, in terms of the food distribution network in this country. And so if you play any role or participate in that in any way, just know that from the farmers to the to the truck drivers to the wholesale to uh, to retail to restaurants, um, everybody out there who is a part of the food distribution uh, network in the United States of America, um, those of us who are not a part of that um, are obviously tremendously grateful for you. We rely on you. Um, we recognize that these are incredibly difficult, um, challenging times, and we, we want to help. But we probably need you to tell us how to help. And so just want to be of encouragement, um, particularly today, to those food producers who are feeling forced to um, let their crops uh, rot in the fields um, or those who are feeling like they have to, you know, pour milk down the drain. Um, And, uh, you know, those cows have to be milked every day. So it's not as if those dairy farmers can stop milking the cows. It's just a question of whether or not anybody is coming in big trucks to pick uh, pick up the milk that the cows are producing. And so it's um it's it's a huge challenge. Uh, the president has ordered meat processing plants to remain open. He has compelled them last night by an executive order compelling meat processors to remain open um, because he is concerned about shortages in the nation's food supply chain. So that is what is going on right now. Uh, we're going to address the question with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com as the you know as the government begins to you know frankly kind of push to reopen the economy. They're going to run up against uh, business owners and workers and consumers who are worried about the risk that they face. So we're going to have that conversation next with Bill English. We'll be right back. English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, we're praying for you. We uh, we understand that you are in um, self-quarantine. I am. One of my uh, employees was tested positive, so our office is basically dispersed, and I'm working from home, and uh, based on my interactions with this individual, if I'm going to get sick, it's going to be sometime between today and Saturday or Sunday. So, you know, hoping I hoping I don't get sick. Well, we're going to um we're going to pause and pray. <laughs> we're going to we're going to pause and pray before we uh well, before you. we launch in. Yeah, Father, we lift up our brother Bill. Um we recognize that you um are sovereign over his life, that you're merciful, that you're gracious, that you're the great physician, that you're able to do far more um than we ordinarily dare to ask or imagine. And so right now we're going to ask and we're going to imagine that um yes, that any infection in his body of any kind is um, is simply dispersed by your grace. Uh, and Father, we just ask that you would keep him healthy and well in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, absolutely. You. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it's both the most I can do and the least I can do, right? Is to, is to pause and pray right now. Well, th- Not to promise yeah, to pray, but to pray. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, businesses across the country of every variety, I am hoping increasingly um, that uh, a, a, a hair salon called Dion South is getting ready to reopen because I have some gray hair that um, I am 
becoming desperate to deal with and not myself. So um, so as as a hair salon, we're just going to use them as our best example. As they are considering reopening, they are asking lots of questions. One of those questions, a big question, is a question about um, lawsuits and litigation. So that is one of the huge questions that uh, local businesses are facing right now. Uh, totally agree. In fact, I was interviewed by Minnesota Public Radio about three weeks ago about the effect of COVID in the healthcare industry, and I expressed at that time my fear of the uh, class action lawyers getting together when this whole thing is done and uh, going after all kinds of businesses uh, because they didn't protect workers well enough or they didn't protect customers well enough or they did something else that, that the lawyers found uh, somehow unworthy or unsettling in some way. And so uh, we have seen at the U.S. Chamber Litigation Center that these that these lawsuits are already starting to appear, right? Uh, there's a COVID-19 litigation roundup out at the U.S. Chamber Litigation Center that people could go take a look at. Over 250 lawsuits now have been filed nationwide. And uh, this is a real important deal here. Uh, small business owners not only do they have to take a look at, you know, are my customers going to come back? How am I going to incorporate social distancing and hand washing, sanitizing masks, all those kinds of things into their reopen? But now they have to start factoring in the potential of litigation in the future and try to figure out what lawyers are going to argue against them as they try to defend themselves. And I think that puts uh, small business owners in a really horrible horrible position of trying to predict the future and then uh, uh, configure your patterns and practices now for what might be argued in the future in a court of law. I don't know how you, I don't, I don't know how you run a business like that. Will I be uh, potentially asked to sign some kind of release when uh, before I go through the door? Yeah, probably. Yeah, like I do, like I do, like let's say, you know, if I want to, we go, just at the end of our road, there's a place that rents canoes for people to go on the river. Um, Those people who rent a canoe, you you have to sign, uh, you know, you have to, you have to sign something saying that, you know, not only are you going to wear a life jacket, um, but that you're going to basically take responsibility for whatever risk. Um, That the the, the canoe owner is not assuming the risk, that I am assuming the risk as the paddler. Um, and so, sure. you know, maybe that's one conversation um, that small businesses are going to have with their customers that, you know, the customer is actually going to have to assume the risk. That's a different way of thinking about going somewhere and uh, and utilizing a service than I have thought about in the past. Well, can you imagine going to Applebee's or P.F. Chang's and you walk in, you sign a liability waiver, and then they put some kind of a gun to your head, not a gun, but, a, you know, to take your temperature and uh, to make sure that, you know, that... I wondered where the, you were going. Okay. I, a temperature, I, 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 a thermometer, a digital thermometer. Yes, thank you. Let's a use, yes, a little more, slightly more precise language. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're, they're doing these basic screenings while you're signing a liability waiver so that you can go and sit in a booth six feet from somebody else while you eat. <laughs> yeah, I'm just cooking at home, man. I, I mean, I know, right? So... Um, so there you go. I'm just going to cook at home. That is a conversation business owners are going to have to have as well. It's one thing to convince their employees to come back. Um, it's another thing to convince their customers to come back. Uh, let's could we could, let's take a break and then when we when we come back, talk a little bit about 
consumer confidence. What what is consumer confidence? How is it measured? Um, and why is it so important to the U.S. economy? We'll be right back. I'm talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. All right, I'm reading headlines like this. Consumer confidence suffers record drop in April. The Consumer Confidence Index tumbles to 86.9 from 118.8. But if I don't know what those numbers mean, I didn't, this is a nonsensical headline. So, Bill English, what is uh, consumer confidence? What's the Consumer Confidence Index? And why should it matter to me that it has tumbled from 118 to 86? Okay, so the Consumer Confidence Index is put out by the Conference Board. Uh, you can go to conference-board.org and read all about it. And it's it's developed from a consumer confidence survey. And what the survey measures is the confidence that consumers have in the immediate and long-term future of business, of uh, of several things. But they, they basically package it up into how people are feeling about business, how they're feeling about their own lives, and how confident confident they are that the future is going to be positive or how confident that they are that the future is going to be negative. And then they norm the uh, the numbers so that 100 equals they're neither confident nor uh, unconfident, if I can use the word. I forget what the opposite of confident is, but pessimistic maybe. And so anything above 100 means that, that consumers are trending towards um, – Greater confidence that's more positive in the future, anything under 100 means that they are trending more negative, more pessimistic about the future. So when it tumbles, like you were reading there, I think uh, Market Watch had, had an article about this where it, it goes from 118.8 down to 86.9. That's because of COVID, right? And COVID has really destroyed a lot of the consumer confidence in the future. So most people right now are looking towards the future and they're pessimistic rather than optimistic about what's going to happen in the near term in terms of their jobs, in terms of business, in terms of their lives. And, you know, gosh, when you look at I mean, Carmen, when you look at all of the all the stuff that we're being fed by the media every day, there's not a lot of positives in those stories. And so I, I can see why it would drop. Which is why I want people to watch some good news with John Krasinski, and I want them to read their Bibles, and I want them yes. to, you know, have healthy conversations with other Christians, because um, there's not just a light at the end of the tunnel. There's light right now shining in the darkness. Um, so, um, all right, Bill, let's, um, let's address this, uh, this question that comes from, uh, a listener and a friend. So, um, I have a friend who's also a listener. Uh, they're in their early fifties. Their kids are one in college. One, uh, was planning to be headed to college. Uh, his company just announced a 20% reduction in pay effective immediately. Um, let's just say that was probably the, um, uh, the twenty percent uh, pay cut uh, is probably was probably the college uh, funding plan. All right, so they're they're having conversations about cutting back. They're having conversations about possibly taking a gap year. I'm also wondering if you know what is this just the right time for people to be reconsidering what they're doing with their life? Like maybe this is the point in time when you have the conversation. Is this really? What I'm what I'm supposed to be doing right now, or is now the time to do some start doing something different? 
You know, uh, do you remember Rahm Emanuel uh, was yes. uh, yeah. um, President Obama's chief of staff and then went on to be the mayor in Chicago? Yes. You know, he, he made an interesting comment, never waste a crisis, right? And I agree with him on that point. Uh, look, if you're in a personal crisis, your your salary's uh, been reduced 20%. This is a great time to take a long step back and say, God, what do you want me doing over the next 10 or 15 years? Do you want to redirect me somewhere else? And uh, wh- how I... How I look at this is to say, look over the last 10 years of your life, look at the major structures that you have, and see what you would like to change. Uh, And and it can be pretty important stuff. It it may be, I'm going to leave this industry and go into another industry, or maybe I'm going to leave this industry and I'm going to go on the mission field, something like that. Yeah, maybe maybe dad gets to take a gap year. Maybe those kids go to work. For a year doing something, and Dad gets to take a gap year. Yeah, and Dad gets I'm to calling go and do my live friend that. and suggesting that. <laughs> but why saying. not? <laughs> right. Right. I you know. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, that's and, a. There you go. There's a consideration for everybody today. What would it look like to hit? It's not really hitting the pause button because what you're really doing is you're giving God an opportunity to speak into your life uh, in a new way. Um, at a day and time when, um, when when the pause button has been hit on a lot of other things anyway. Yes. And so look at your life and then look at the next 10 years and see if you can incorporate the changes that, that, that you want that you want to make. Leave behind so, the undesired parts and, and build a better life for yourself. So I'm looking at my notes that I sent you yesterday and I was obviously voice texting my um, email to you. Because that was supposed to say reevaluate, not really, really value, and then the number eight. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading my notes right now, and I'm like, really, really value, and then the number eight. So thank you for understanding that was reevaluate. Now you see, if that had been in the King James context, it would have been really, (laughs) verily, evaluate or something like that. (laughs) Hey, we really, verily value you. So uh, praying. Yeah, praying uh, health and mercy upon you this day. Thank you, as always, for joining us. You guys can find Bill uh, at BibleAndBusiness.com. Thanks so much, my friend. You bet. Have a good day. You too. We'll be right back. So imagine uh, for a moment that you are 20 years into a very successful career. You are, frankly, Uh, at the pinnacle of your industry's success. So you are a musician, and you have won Grammy Awards. You have an album that has been certified gold. And then you wake up, and you have a debilitating disease that means that you are no longer going to be able to sing. So that is what happened to Mark Stewart, frontman of popular Christian rock band Audio Adrenaline. But that is not uh, where the story ends. And so he is joining us next to share his story and his new book, Losing My Voice, to find it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Guilt sucks the life out of our souls. Grace restores it. This is Max Lakato. No one had more reason to feel the burden of guilt 
than did the Apostle Paul. He had orchestrated the deaths of Christians, an ancient version of a terrorist. Yet Paul gave his guilt to Jesus, period. He surrendered it to Jesus. As a result, he could write, I am still not all that I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. What would the apostle say to the guilt-ridden? Simply this, rejoice in the Lord's mercy, trust in his ability to forgive, cast yourself upon the grace of Christ and Christ alone. This is Max Lucado. For those of us who uh, have been listening to Christian music for some time, Mark Stewart is a person whose voice we know. It's a part of the soundtrack of, uh, of our walk of faith. He spent um, a long time as the front man for Audio Adrenaline. He is here joining us today to share his story. The book is Losing My Voice to Find It. Mark, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you, Carmen. Well, it's a um, it's a it's a pleasure to to talk with you today. Um, I think that the most efficient way to do this is just to allow you to tell us your story. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be great. Um, you know, um, I, I was the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline. Uh, I was a preacher's kid. I love Christian music. Um, you know, I never thought or dreamed that my dream of becoming a a uh, professional Christian music, musician would come true, um, but it did. And basically, I found myself at the peak of a musical career. We had won multiple Grammys. We toured all over the world, and 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 God blessed me with a ministry that was, uh, like I said, a dream come true for a preacher's kid from Kentucky. But the, at the top of my career, I developed an incurable vocal disorder called spasmodic dysphonia. It still affects my voice today, you can tell, uh, even in talking. And, and I didn't know what was happening at the time, but I lost control of my singing voice, and I was scared and frustrated and, um, and really angry at, at God. And then um, at the same time, my marriage uh, fell apart. My wife filed for divorce, and everything that I had loved and thought I had control over everything that um, I kind of cherished disappeared within a couple of years. And um, I, I basically found myself dealing with um, becoming from going really my mindset from being really significant in the kingdom of God to being forgotten or abandoned by the God I'd been serving for 15 years. Um, and, and that was uh, pretty devastating, losing complete control and, and losing your significance, losing what you thought your purpose was um, and your joy all in one time. And uh, my parents were missionaries in Haiti. Um, I started going on short-term mission trips really to escape um, the idea of, I was living in Nashville, everybody here is a musician, a lot of Christian musicians. 
and, and when I was in Haiti, I wasn't really known as Mark, the failed musician, or Mark, the divorced Christian icon or whatever. I, I was just known as Mark, the son of a missionary. And it was there, really among the poorest of the poor, the oppressed and forgotten people of Haiti, and serving them, that I found my purpose again. And God started to rekindle my heart there. And um, that, that's really what the book is about, is this journey. It's a rock and roll memoir. It's really fun. It sounds kind of depressing. But the, the run-up to this pinnacle was is pretty incredible, meeting DC Talk and Stephen Curtis Chapman, Bono, Billy Graham, and finding this huge, significant platform, only to find it uh, being washed away in a moment. But in that, uh, finding God's goodness and His grace, um, uh, on the, in the second half of my life and really discovering what significance in the kingdom really looks like. And I don't want to give the whole book away, but that's basically the, the, my story in a nutshell. No, absolutely. And I think that one of the, um, when you talk about, you know, the second half of your life, I think that one of the things that is significant in this conversation is that the second half of your life just started a whole lot earlier for you than the yeah. second half starts for most people. Um, I, I talk with an extraordinary number of people who realize at some point along the way in their, normally not though until like their mid-50s, that you know what, all of the stuff that I was striving for, which I have now achieved in large measure, is not worth the, you know, the paper, the, you know, the the whatever, the degrees, the the mortgage, the stock bond, whatever it is that it's printed on. Like I, I've been striving for things that ultimately are, you know, Grammys, what am I going to do? Set them on the, the hood of the RV? Like, right? And it's not to say that the things for which we were striving were not significant, but they are not the things that make us significant. Talk about the striving, what you were striving for, what you're striving for now. Yeah, that's such a, um, a great observation. And, and you're right, it did happen for me a little bit early, but I am now I'm 52, but I'm on the backside of that journey. Uh, you know, it happened for me probably in my early 40s when everything shifted. But yeah, I, I strived to do great things for God, and great things happened. God, the ministry of audio drilling was incredible. We saw people come to the Lord. We we were able to encourage people to, do, to be missionaries. And um, we saw, you know, hundreds and thousands of kids know, come to know Jesus at our concert. So it was amazing, and it was significant. But for me, I, I had to realize, um, or I come to realize, that the things that are just as significant um, is my relationship with my wife. Um, I, I've been... Uh, God introduced me to an, uh, my wife now about 14 years ago, and we've been married, and we had an incredible relationship. But my my significance comes in my family time. Um, we have two adopted kids from Haiti that are gorgeous, beautiful. They're life-giving to me. I never had any children in my first marriage, and now I'm a dad. And the significance to me is in the small things, uh, like spending time with my kids, uh, sharing truths with them, um, and, and it's so important to realize that today we're we're all, we're all measured by our likes and our followers, or followers and our friends. And for me, it's you know I'm in a small group with in here in Nashville in a church that has some Christian artists in it. So I'm in a group with Bart Millard, 
and Joel Smallbone from For King Country. And it, their significance in a normal kind of measurement, uh, I guess, viewpoint is incredible. You know, Bard's movie came out, Joel's For King Country, his career and his ministry is amazing. And I haven't been on stage for 12 years. And the enemy every once in a while says to me, you know, I'm sitting at a small group with these guys is, wow, you're, you're invisible. You're no longer important. Um, you know, there's nothing left for you. God has moved on. Uh, and right now you're diminished. But I'm reminded um, when I come home at night and when I put, tuck my kids in bed that those are the most significant things. And God doesn't measure our significance by this huge success or the money we have in the bank or the Grammys or whatever. He's not going to look at me when I get to heaven and say, I really wish you would have made one more audio drilling record or had one more number one hit song. He's going to say, man, you are, you are a great friend. You are a great husband, a great dad, and you love people well. And that's true significance. And when people find that out, their life becomes bigger. Even when I was on stage with Audio Adrenaline, my life was smaller then than it is now. And when we give ourselves over to the smallness of thinking that we're in control, that this life is about us and our successes, we, we tend to be miserable. And when things come, storms come, and we've given ourselves over to smallness, um, that's when our foundation gets rocked and peace goes away. So we've had both uh, Bart and Joel here um, on the program as well, um, and it 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 occurs to me, um, Mark, that you know you know this about them, um, and I feel like I can say this about you too. You're like we're all just regular people, and oh, and yeah. some sometimes um, other people around us lose sight of just just the fact that we're just regular people. Uh, and so I appreciate um, I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability in this conversation. We have to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I am going to ask you, where do you put a Grammy in an RV? <laughs> sure. I'd love that to conversation is up that. next with Mark Stewart. The book is Losing My Voice to Find It. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Mark Stewart, author of Losing My Voice to Find It. Um, Mark, um, why yeah. am I asking you where do you put a Grammy in an RV and where do you put a Grammy in an RV? <laughs> well, I, um, I've been traveling with my family for the last two years full time in an RV. Right now, we're, we're, we've moved back into our house for a few months um, I was on tour with Mercy Me, um, but that all got canceled because of the coronavirus. So now we're kind of stuck in a house. But for two years, we've lived in an RV and we rented our house out. Um, and it's all kind of part of this journey for me uh, to really kind of go deeper to this significant life. What does it really look like? And my wife and I said, you know what? Let's just get away for a while. We can go speak at churches and let's spend time with our kids. So a lot of people dream about living in an RV with their family. Some people think it might be a nightmare, but for us, it's been incredible. We homeschool uh, and we just travel around. We've been to I think, 18 national parks. We spoke at 
tons of churches, did a lot of radio station interviews, and just encouraged people along the way. So that's what I've been doing, living in an RV. My Grammys, I have won two of them, which is phenomenal for us. It's like crazy to even think about, but I'm sitting in my Jeep in the garage right now, and they're above my head somewhere in the attic. Right. I have no idea. They're in a box somewhere. And we were talking about that earlier, but you know, you, you strive and you fight for success and then you win something. And then the, the first thing that you think about after about a minute of like, wow, we did it is why what's next? What am I going to win now? You know, it, it, they don't satisfy you. And ultimately they just collect dust sitting in a box and in the attic next to a rake or an old sledgehammer or something. It's, it's funny, the things that we think are significant. <laughs> well, and, they, and it's not that they're insignificant. They are significant, but our sense of the value of them changes over time. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, legacy, because your legacy is, I mean, you know, your kids one day are each going to uh, be passed down a Grammy. That's really cool. Um, but that's probably not the substance of the legacy you're most interested in passing down to your kids. And so I want I want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about what you're seeking to invest um, in your kids. And as a part of that, tell us about the Hands and Feet Project in Haiti. Yeah. Well, we, we pray every night. And even in the midst of this struggle that we're all existing in right now, it is um, letting God have control, completely trusting Him. And if I could pass down one thing to my kids, and they've both read my book, and they, but my son really liked it. My daughter was like, hey, you know, I'd like to read stuff about princesses. So she wasn't too into it just yet. <laughs> um, it, it, I want them to realize that God is is big and he's good. And that when they realize that their dad, their heavenly father, runs literally and completely runs the universe, that they can live life without fear that they put their trust in things that matter and their hope in things eternal. That that's my goal as a dad is to hand that down to them. They know that audio drilling was fun, but they don't they weren't around when I was a rock star. To them um they don't look at me like, oh my well, my dad's a rock star. They look at me like <clears throat> my dad loves me so much that he won't goes on bike rides with me and plays football and basketball with me. They just love that. So my legacy is is to pass on to them um, just the hope and the courage and the, the big, big life that we have uh, when we give ourselves completely over to, to our Heavenly Father. That's the legacy I want for them. And then tell us a little bit about um, Oh, the Hands Haiti. Project, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we have brothers and sisters in Haiti whom we have not met, but you have met. Um, we share an inheritance with them that is eternal. We're going to spend eternity together. And yet, you know, they are out of sight and out of mind for most of us most of the time. So help yeah. us reconnect um, with that this morning. Well, um, Haiti really saved me. Um, like I said earlier, when, when I started to go to Haiti, I was going there to escape. But in reality, I believe God led me to Haiti uh, to connect with the poor and the oppressed. And they're among the least of these. And Jesus makes it pretty clear in Matthew 25. When we connect with the least of these, we connect in a special way to Jesus himself. And he does something to our hearts. 
So, and I think that's important in, in times like these as well. When we feel discouraged or hopeless, um, when we feel abandoned even by God, one of the best ways to reconnect is to serve somebody. So that, first of all, I would suggest to your listeners to get out there and serve somebody and, and let Jesus do new things in your heart. Also stay connected. But when I went to Haiti, I was working with the Hands of Feet Project, which is an organization that we started in audio drilling with my parents that served uh, children in Haiti who've been abandoned or orphaned. And we started to build children's villages. And over the last 15 years, we've worked with hundreds and hundreds of families and moms and kids um, doing three things. We, we fight to preserve families. Um, if we find a mom who's about to give up on their baby because of poverty, we walk with her. If we find through the Haitian government that there's children that have been abandoned in hospitals and have no place to go, we build villages and provide foster families for those uh, children. And then lastly, we fight to reunite families together. Um, if a, a child comes into our family care, we we use social workers and investigators to go find if they have any family, uh, and we can hopefully and prayerfully reunite those families if we can. And that's what we do in Haiti, and it's it's been an incredible journey for me, and I've found the utmost <clears throat> significance and reward bigger than any Grammy is serving people in need in Haiti. And one thing that I've learned working in Haiti, um, there's a desperation for God that we often don't have in the first world. Um, we we tend to look at comfort and control. It becomes our idol here. And when you're in Haiti, every day is a survival mode. And they're so desperate um, because they're in need for God. It, it's like your faith is quickened when you're there. And um, they're beautiful people. They love God, um, but they've been dealt a kind of a bad hand. You know, they they were born in a country that's just been broken, and infrastructure has been broken for generations, and it's hard to get out. But I have found when I'm there that um, when when you look at what poverty is, yeah, I, I I basically don't go to Haiti and go oh, have a pity party and say oh look at how poor they are. Um, you quickly realize how rich they are in their faith and kind of um, ironically how poor in some ways we've become in a lack of faith um, because we put our faith in ourselves here oftentimes. So that's what happens when you connect with uh, the poor, the oppressed, and especially the beautiful people of Haiti. It changes your life to see how resilient, beautiful, and passionate they are about the Lord. Mark, thank you. Um, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for um, your work in in Haiti. Thank you for the invitation that we might all join you in that. It's the Hands and Feet Project. The book is Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rock Star Discovered His Greatest Purpose. Mark Stewart uh, has been our guest this morning. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it so Absolutely. much. Great to talk Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. Great to talk to you as well. So let me ask you, as we're um, closing out these two hours together this morning, for what are you striving? Um, where, where are you investing this day? What's your legacy going to be? Um, what are you seeking to preserve or build or redeem? 
You know, I took note of those words as Mark shared them about the hands and feet ministry in Haiti. Um, what are you seeking to preserve? Where are you trying to build up other people's families? What, what are you actually building in terms of, of community that would support those uh, most in need? How are you serving your neighbors today? What are we redeeming today? We're the redeemed people. So what are we seeking to redeem, striving for in terms of the service to the Lord, but also to others? Thanks for joining me this morning. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.